Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. Happy New Year. Welcome to our best of 2014 episode of Legally Sound Smart Business. Welcome to our show. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Stobb. I guess you didn't need me to be here. You could have done this by yourself, but that's all right. Thanks for having me. Actually, I didn't even know you were here. <laughs> that's really weird. So yeah, so we, we've had a huge year, a lot of legal issues that we covered. I think Matthew, our audio producer, has a nice surprise for you guys to put together a few nice little clips for uh, this best of 2014 episode. Yeah, it should be a good one. I... Not sure right now as we're recording what those best of is gonna, are going to be, but really all of them are good in my opinion, so can't really go wrong. Well, what's interesting is the actual best of 2014 is just going to be one long audio <laughs> file of all the episodes put together. <laughs> so it's going to be like a it's going to be like a, a 20 or 30 hour episode, but probably more than that. Yeah, it'd be many. more than that. I would think. I don't. I don't think you could have a podcast file that large, but. Well, enjoy your week of listening, and uh, we'll be back in a few days. Yeah. Keep it sound and keep it smart. Let's jump right into it this week. There's a story that came out. It's going to be very interesting what happens with this, and it's going to be good news for some business owners. Yeah, it's, I think it's huge. Yeah, and I can't remember anything like this happening before. It was a lawsuit involving Yelp. It was in Virginia. There's a company that had all these negative reviews. And I believe they're also anonymous reviews, so the people didn't say who they were. And essentially, there was a lawsuit that happened, and Yelp was required to turn over the information of those so-called anonymous reviews, which, like I said, this is going to be a big precedent. It'll be interesting to see what happens. This was in Virginia, but it'll be really interesting what happens in other states and just if anything falls up with an appeal. This is where you have anonymous reviewers that are posting information about your business that not only is false, but is suspected to be completely your competitors or something. This is a carpet cleaning business, and they think that this is a competitor that is going on this website and posting these bad reviews about them. Keep in mind, people that are listening, though, this is a Virginia lawsuit. This is a appellate court decision. Yeah, this was done by the Court of Appeals. So understand what that means. Unless you're in the state of Virginia, that is not going to apply to you. But it is going to be persuasive authority in the sense that it could be used to help your argument in your respective state. And also keep in mind, I noticed that the basis of their lawsuit was a statute that was passed in Virginia, which there are other states that have a similar statute, which talks about basically anonymous posting. And if there's a tortious or illegal communication, then the burden of proof going through First Amendment rights and so forth is lessened if it's an anonymous post online. So even if your case is similar, but if you're not in a state that has a similar statute, it may not even work. All right, let's get into the first question this week. And this comes from a startup in New York City. I was in a startup competition where random teams were assembled. We didn't win, but still wanted to move forward. How do we determine who owns what? I'm assuming they are talking about ownership of the entity. Well, I guess they don't have an entity yet of the, the business or whatever they put together. Well, probably not. Right. They misspelled the word forward. So I'm sure they didn't think about that as well. (laughs) I guess I should make fun of the people that are sending good questions, but that's a typo, obviously. Let's get into the next question here. This one comes from a marketing firm in Los Angeles. This is a good one. One of our clients is holding a social media contest and give away a prize, prize in quotations, to the winner. 
what if they don't actually give a prize away? Are we in trouble for that? <laughs> you know, when we did a contest as a firm last spring or summer it was, I believe, and it was a social media thing and it did really well. We were giving a prize away. I think it was an iPad mini, but people were telling us like they were reluctant to even participate. They're like, well, you guys aren't really going to give a prize away, right? <laughs> as if almost that's a common thing to happen. And I was just wondering, do people actually do that? That's really wrong and unfair. Yeah. Also, it seems counterproductive because, you know, I assume they're doing it for marketing and media reasons, right? Yeah. Just like we did. But also you get some media attention just from the prize winner also promoting your stuff too. Right. Like, for example, the person that uh, won the prize took a picture of herself with the iPad mini and posted it on our Facebook page. And that was awesome. Yeah, it was a little bit questionable because your wife won um, and she was posting it. And it wasn't she. <laughs> That's not. She true. was holding up a box that may or may not have had an iPad Mini in it. But no, we we did actually post the person who won the contest yeah. holding the the iPad Mini, which I think is the correct way to go about it. All right. So the next thing we have on the agenda here, this deals with a health club. I believe it's Equinox. I hope that's how you pronounce it. But it deals with their memberships apparently are, quote unquote, impossible to cancel. I guess in the contracts for the gym memberships, it has it in there. So it's automatically and perpetually renewing, making it like one person said, virtually impossible to back out of. We've all seen these gyms that they pressure you to sign up and then you end up not using it, of course. But then when you want to cancel, you realize you have a year-long contract and so forth. But, but these guys, they have this provision where it's everything's automatically renewed. And in order to cancel, they have to send in a certified or registered mail to the gym. And of course, who's going to do that? This is an upscale gym too as well. So I can imagine a lot of people just not caring, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're too lazy to not go to the gym, then you're not going to go and get a certified letter and send it to the gym. That's for sure. I don't know if you watch Friends or ever watched, I guess, watched Friends. It's been off the air forever, but there was an episode where there where Chandler was trying to quit the gym and they had all these tactics they would use to, and then Ross went there to try to help him quit. And then they, he ends up signing up. So it's pretty <laughs> funny. Welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasser Pasha. And this is Matt Staub. And this is our podcast where we cover business in the news with our legal twists and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, submits to our podcast at ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. Always have to slow that down for everyone. I feel like if I say it too fast, no one's going to get it. You know, you always bring up the part where we introduce ourselves at the beginning and I never... You always say it's kind of redundant. I never even really thought about it, but I was listening to an episode this morning. Is that the first episode you listened to? <laughs> yeah, or? It was. And it's literally just back to back. So, But I think it's a good way to distinguish our voices so you know who is who if you're talking. I guess that's the benefit of it. That's true. I don't want people thinking I'm Nasser, so <laughs> that would confuse people. Now it's a big mystery. We can do a video podcast and make it easier. <laughs> Well, let's jump into it. He's still a very relevant topic. The NFL draft happened a couple weeks ago. One of the big stories behind that was Johnny Manziel. So for Nasser's sake, he was a college football player at Texas A&M, became really popular, won the Heisman as a freshman a couple years ago, got drafted. Now he's going to be in the NFL in your home state, actually, playing for Cleveland. Nice. But the, the underlying story here with him is between his sort of presence and Texas A&M, or more accurately, their stadium, uh, I guess he and his longtime friend, who's always in the news with him, had tried to trademark the house that Johnny built 
in order to have that affiliated with the university. And I guess initially it's been denied. And I don't know if they're, I'm sure they're still going to try to do something with that. But it brings up an interesting thing because he's wanting to trademark this and he's wanting it to be affiliated with the university, but it's just his name, but it would be tied directly into the university. So it's a couple interlocking pieces here, but I can see why the registration was refused. Well, I first had to do a bunch of research to figure out who Johnny Menzel was. And I'm still not sure, really. He's won some kind of trophy. But I, it seems as though there's the likelihood of confusion, right? And that's kind of interesting because even though he's not connected to any goods or service, he's just a football player that they denied it, which is not unusual just because they say Johnny Menzel is so famous that consumers would presume a connection. I think that's, <laughs> I think that statement's kind of funny because I don't even know who he was. So I guess he wasn't that famous to people, but. Well, Johnny Menzel, hopefully that's the last we talk about him because he hasn't even played a snap in the NFL and he's already talked about way too much. So we are at the midweek point, episode number 50. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, pretty crazy. It's a semi-milestone. I thought 48 episodes was a lot, but 50 is just... I think we should just stop. It's too much. Yeah. We'll see how this one goes, and if it's really if it's the best one, we'll stop at 50. Okay. All right. That's a lot of pressure. Well, let's get into the story that we have for today. The story here is the one was in California Assembly passes this film tax credit bill, which basically is trying to keep filming and production in the state or give incentive for the filming and production to stay in California. Obviously, in California here, we have you know Los Angeles, Hollywood. There's lots of companies, lots of actors here. There's no reason to let them leave, but a lot of them are leaving for these tax credits that are in different states. I know there's a few states in the country that a lot of places film, but California's just trying to keep this in in order to generate more money, help the economy. It's always obviously struggling in California, but They also have additional incentive for production companies that are actually moving into California. Right. But, you know, this started me thinking about tax credits in general. And I don't think businesses realize how many different tax credits for all these little things are there. And I wanted to bring in uh, Steve from State Tax Credit Exchange. He's a tax credit clearinghouse. Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. So obviously, there's always going to be legislation in different states that gives different tax incentives to businesses. But you know, you're an expert on tax credits. Why don't you tell us a little bit about tax credits in general and also how you've been dealing with it in uh, your business as well? So tax credits are obviously incentives by typically the states, and these are just the state tax credits, typically by the states to foster growth in certain industries. The feds have also tax credits to foster growth in particular industries as well. Some of them are for more social reasons, such as affordable housing. Others are for more business development, call it jobs, which would be the film and entertainment tax credit. And certainly California is trying to keep the flood of folks from leaving the state of California to other states. As film production and technology has been a little easier to do on an international basis for that matter, it's not as essential to film in the state of California. And then other talent is now national and international as well. Some actors and actresses as well are not living necessarily in the state of California. So that has been an issue where California has struggled to keep these folks. And there's now infrastructure being generated or, should I say, built in places all over the world. So our company as an exchange or clearinghouse, we basically take the tax credits that have been generated by these companies 
and we sell them or transfer them to other taxpayers. It could be individuals or businesses that have tax liability. These incentives that we only work with are ones that are transferable by law. Okay, so are most tax credits transferable or just a few of them? Not all tax credits are transferable. There's R&D tax credits and job credits in certain markets that are not transferable. They can only be used by the companies who are generating those credits. There are other credits, lots of other credits, actually, that are transferable. And the reason why is that those companies who are generating those tax credits do not either have the liability or it's a timing issue and they want to monetize those tax credits, thereby selling them or transferring them to another taxpayer. Well, that's an amazing industry and exchange that probably most people aren't even aware of. I think a lot of businesses probably heard of the SHOP tax credit. What is a small business health options program in the new healthcare law? Because that implemented this year. What are your thoughts about that? Has that been something that you've been working with? It is a tax credit that is not transferable and nothing that I am familiar with. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It's not a transferable uh, tax credit. Steve, what's your opinion on tax credits in general from a business perspective or as a business owner? From a taxpayer's perspective, it's a no-brainer. If you have a tax liability and you can buy a discount on your taxes, certainly ones that are bulletproof from the standpoint of risk, it's a no-brainer. From a business who has the opportunity to generate these tax credits, again, it's a way to mitigate your expenses, reduce your costs of whatever industry you're in that has these tax credits. Certainly, the film and entertainment business, if you come to certain states, matter of fact, even Canada, these incentives are offered all over the world, you can get somewhere between 20 to 40% of your production costs mitigated. Wow. Through the tax credits. One thing I found was pretty interesting. So Anchorman 2, which is supposed to be set at least in part in San Diego, you know, there was a little bit of filming here, but it was mostly filmed in Georgia from what I understand. Steve, do you see a lot of, I mean, is this a pretty frequent occurrence? Films supposed to be set in one city and, and end up coming to Georgia in order to film just for the tax credits? No question. There is actually a, an entire town in the south side of Atlanta that was built to be somewhat agnostic as far as the buildings and anything could be shot in that town and then they basically transpose you know the Eiffel Tower for that matter in it and when you're watching the movie it's as if you're watching it in Paris it's oh yes that's cool that's the reason because of technology it allows for a lot more opening to film in locations outside of the potential location it seems to be on the silver screen Welcome to episode number 68, where we cover business legal news and answer some of your business legal questions that you can send in as a listener to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. 68 seems like a lot. I, I wanted to guess that. Probably would guess like 38, maybe. I was going to guess like 67 or 69. <laughs> some Good guess. Not 68. Uh, if you guess 69, prices Right rules, I still would have won. Got to guess under... All right, so we have a dispute between Yelp and Google. I choose Google. Yeah, so no one's going to feel any sympathy for Yelp in this situation. But basically what Yelp is claiming is Google is altering search results to put their Google-sponsored content higher than Yelp's stuff. So if you, I mean, I'm just thinking, when I Google something like a, I mean, the most common thing, a restaurant, Probably what's going to pop up is the restaurant's website, but like one of the first or second things that pop up is usually their Yelp page because yeah. that's what people go to. I mean, 
A Yelp page is actually going to tell you more than a restaurant website ever will. And plus, you can get the link for the website on Yelp anyway. I think you and I are probably on the same page here. I think we're probably going to side with Google on this one. Yeah, just because we hate Yelp. By the way, the technical term is SERP, which is the search engine result page rank. Oh, gotcha. Interesting. We'll talk about SERPs and SEO. I don't really care if Yelp goes down on the list, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's get into the question of the day. Hopefully, we can bash Yelp some more. Even if the question is not related, I'm going to bash some Yelp. All right, this is an interesting question. There might be some background that's needed on this. In the Belford example, and those working in boiler rooms, they are convicted of using unfair selling tactics, but what does that mean? Do salesmen not use unfair sales tactics when they psychoanalyze the client and use that to their advantage? Pharmaceutical industry located in South Florida. Oh, I guess the Belford example, that's referring to Jordan Belford. He's known as the Wolf of Wall Street. And of course, Boiler Room, Boiler Room is one of my favorite movies, but same idea. It's a, basically, it's a question of what's the line between misrepresentation or fraud and just mere puffering of sales tactics. Exactly. I mean, it's a fine line. Like, There's a lot of gray area. You've seen Wolf of Wall Street, haven't you? Yeah, I, I saw it. Okay. I personally didn't like it that much, but you know. That's me. Well, I know because you hate Leonardo DiCaprio, but that's fine. No, I actually, I like him, but. Yeah. So he ultimately ended up getting in trouble, right? The true story. Yeah, yeah, no, both the true story and in the movie. Have you not seen it? No, I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away, but yeah, he was arrested, but it was literally for securities fraud yeah. and money laundering. And basically, some of these stocks were being fronted as something that it wasn't. Salespeople are salespeople. They know a lot of times, you know, if they've been trained, they know kind of where the line is and they know not to say anything that's factually incorrect. So, yeah. All right. Well, I hope we sold people on the, uh, this is the best podcast that's out there. So (laughs) it's the number one podcast. Notice how I didn't say number one ranked podcast. So that's it. That's true. Even though it is the number one ranked podcast. (laughs) Oh no. He did not say that. Oh, (laughs) now we're in trouble. No, number one rate by Stab and Pasha Incorporated, <laughs> yeah. a podcast ranking service. All right. Well, we have a pretty interesting story for today because it deals with a... There's a lot of different things going on. So it's a Yahoo executive, and she and Yahoo in general are being sued by a former principal software engineer for sexual harassment and wrongful termination. Now, I mean, we've talked about similar things in the past, but it's typically been a male superior and the lawsuit's been brought by a female, I don't want to say inferior, inferior. <laughs> uh, support uh, a it. female employee. So now we have a female executive or superior and also a female employee. So Yahoo is just straight up denying any of this happening and is very strong in their stance. Yeah, that seems unusual. These two employees, they moved to California. They moved into an apartment together, right? separate rooms and so forth. They weren't a couple or anything like that. But then they did have some relations at home, and then that may have been brought into the workplace. But the real problem is that this person being accused was a supervisor, and it was her supervisor. And when she complained and was terminated, then that creates a huge number of problems. And again, this fact pattern, whether it's a female or female or, or not, is the exact same fact pattern that you see over and over again across other sexual harassment lawsuits and wrongful termination. 
I think people need to understand that these issues when it comes to sexual harassment and wrongful termination, they stem from having power over another. And that's the main issue. And that's the whole concept of employment law protections, because when you have an employee, they're in your control. When something like this happens, a company can do one of two things. They can either take some sort of action, whether it be suspension, I mean, worst case scenario, termination of the person who's being accused, or it can do what Yahoo did and just hourly deny it, just full denial, saying it's all bogus. All right, well, let's go to the question of the day. Why is it that manufacturers refrain from mentioning one another in their advertisements? Example, Tide cleans better than these other brands, a bunch of white bottles with no labels. This is observed with, well, basically every niche of the commercial market, with two exceptions I've regularly noticed, Pepsi versus Coke and the car industry. I think the main purpose of all that is to not mention your competition because you give them more brand recognition. But with Pepsi versus Coke, Coke knows everyone knows Pepsi and Pepsi knows everyone knows Coke, but being able to differentiate and attack your competition is a little bit better. A good famous one is AT&T and Verizon. They're always going at each other. And even the legal restrictions aren't too bad because, for example, you can even use the competitor's logo in your commercial just as Verizon and AT&T and Pepsi and Coke have to each other because it's part of a fair use. There's no confusion of who this commercial is for or any kind of association or endorsement. In fact, that you can just make fun of them and it's part of the fair use law. So generally, they're legally free from doing it and uh, with you know certain exceptions. And so long as they're not misrepresenting what the other company does, then they should be fine. The commercials that don't actually mention who the competition is, I think they're worried about some sort of lawsuits. I think the, their legal team just didn't fully inform them of what they're allowed to do in the commercials. No, actually, well, one thing that is true is our podcast is better than our competition, our competitor's podcast. That's true. That's very true. All right. Welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasir Pasha. And this, this is Matt Stop. Oh, nice. <laughs> but enough monkey business here because we have a story to talk about, about monkeys. I don't know all the details, but basically they were at a, I would assume a zoo or some sort of something like that. And basically a monkey somehow <laughs> got a hold of a photographer's camera and just took a ton of pictures. And one of them was a pretty funny selfie of the monkey that the monkey took that I guess only recently went viral, probably because selfies have become popular this year. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But anyways, so it went up on Wikipedia. I don't know on what page. And the photographer said, hey, you're infringing on my copyright. I have a copyright on this photo. You need to take it down. And Wikipedia's response was, well, you don't own the image, so or you don't have a copyright on it, so we're not going to take it down. And it raises a couple interesting questions. I guess the first one is, can this monkey actually have a copyright of the photo? And we're going to answer that, that it's no. But since that's the case, who actually owns... I guess who has the copyright to this photo? Forget about it that it was an animal that actually took the photo. If I set a camera out to take a landscape photo and, and have it take a picture every five seconds or 10, 10 seconds or whatever, like a time lapse or whatever, then I would obviously own the copyright. Like if I left a camera in a certain position where, let's say that it only goes off if the animal goes by or the emotion detector, right? Does that mean that the animal is the one that actually took the picture? Well, not really, because I caused that to happen. Same thing, if I hand a camera to a monkey that has ability to press the buttons and take a picture, 
Is that all of a sudden I lose my copyright for that? The work must have an author. The origin has to be a human being. So materials produced solely by nature, plants, or animals are not copyrightable. I think the photo of all those workers suspended high up on that beam from the black and white photo that I'm sure everyone's seen. Yeah. I think a camera was free falling. Somehow they brought a camera back that was uh, small back in time. It was free falling and landed against another beam and took that photo. I know. I thought it was a monkey. (laughs) A monkey. Yeah. Or that. That's what I read. There has been a lot of chatter with my employees. Can I ban gossip in the office? Good question. I hate gossiping. I think it really could bring a company down. So, I mean, generally speaking, you can discipline your employees within reason, obviously, for things they do. This person here asked if they could ban gossip. So I guess the key thing is if you have some sort of policy, it just can't be overly broad, I suppose. Is that how you would put it? The National Labor Board has actually ruled on this issue. And what they're trying to prevent, and a rule like saying that you can't gossip, very simple, or gossip is not tolerated. The problem with that is that it could be infringing upon protected activity. For example, when it comes to unionizing or when it comes to complaining about, let's say you're gossiping about the fact that the office has or the place of employment is unsafe, right? or there's some labor law violation and so forth. So these are all protected activities. And so I think making it too broad becomes a problem. I think it's a, there's some sort of show, I believe that was gossip, gossip, gossip girl. That that's a show, right? Yeah. That was your favorite show. (laughs) I, you know, you don't have to play coy with everyone. No one will mind. All right. Well, actually we got a good story that'll help people wake up, I guess, indirectly a lawsuit involving Red Bull, more accurately, a false advertising lawsuit. But there's a possible settlement. Um, That's not as important. But basically, it boiled down to this. It was a false advertising claim. I think everyone knows what Red Bull is. It's an energy drink. It gives you wings. Yeah, it gives you wings, which that sounds like false advertising right there. But the actual false advertising claim was it provided more benefits to consumers than a cup of coffee or a caffeine pill. That's kind of a statement of fact, right? You have to kind of back that up. That if, okay, if you're saying there's more benefits, how and what's your basis for that? And we've all seen marketing kind of give a lot of leeway to these kinds of statements. But whenever you make a comparison, you have to be very careful with this. And it just seems like anything that they would say besides it giving you wings would be considered false advertising. My employees are receiving small tips on credit card receipts, and we get hit with a processing fee each time. Can we deduct the fee from our employees' tips? And this comes from someone in Santa Barbara. Oh, California. You know, actually, in some states, this is actually allowed. There was just a story, it seems like it was this week or even before then, I think it was a Minnesota company that was actually doing this because they were trying to get around the minimum wage increase and so forth. And I don't know the details of that case, but in Minnesota, apparently it's allowed, but California, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, that's the answer. And this person's in California. I mean, that's pretty clear cut. It's in the the labor code that, you know, you can't do this as an employer. And why we, I mean, why would you anyways? It's Well, I understand the sentiment because those credit card fees do add up. For those of you that don't necessarily sell products or accept credit cards, merchant fees are very simple. They charge, sometimes they have a monthly fee. They almost always have a per transaction fee. And then they have a percentage fee of the actual ticket. And so those three items are always negotiable. And these credit card processors play with all those rates. 
But generally, I think restaurants, because of the volume that they're doing, the number of transactions, they usually try to keep the per transaction fee very low and percentage a little bit, maybe a little bit higher. And I think that range is three to five percent a lot of the times. And three to five percent for each sale that can add up. But I don't know if you want to take that away from your, or just I guess just pay them less overall. It just seems strange to take that off the top of the waitresses or waiters. I don't know how the intros get worse as the week progresses. <laughs> I know I always talk about this, but I just you're so good at everything else. The intros not as good. <laughs> I want to get into the story here, but first I wanted to, it's dealing with Mickey Mouse and a DJ, but I just wanted to know, I'm guessing you don't know who this is, but I wanted to see how you would pronounce this name. Oh, uh, oh yeah, of course. It's uh, Dead Ma 5. That's... Okay. I think that's what a lot of people think. It's it's Dead Mouse. Yeah, that's what I said. Is the actual pronunciation. Yeah, dead, dead Mouse. Okay. Yeah. I was, I, so, I was saying how like most people would say like something stupid like Dead Ma 5, <laughs> but yeah, Dead Mouse. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, or maybe those of you who've heard of him, it's a very iconic thing he wears on his head when he does all of his DJing. One of the, I'd say one of the most popular DJs right now in the last few years. But how to describe it is he wears this thing on his head that essentially makes him look like Mickey Mouse. It's an electric techno version of Mickey Mouse, but that's where this whole lawsuit's come into play. There's a dispute over the infringement of Mickey Mouse's head, more or less. So we talk about these infringement issues a lot, and they do look similar, but there's a few different things about this case and other ones, one of which being that Dead Mouse has trademarks to this logo, there's your logo, in 30 different countries, and has been using the image for over a decade. So that definitely works in his favor, I would say. I assume that Disney has some sort of trademark for the Mickey Mouse logo. I, I would think they'd have <laughs> I would to have it. So. <laughs> they even have an act that's, well, better known as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. Just as a side note, a lot of issues when you want to go international with your mark or your business, some of the time you'll have these guys in China that will actually register your mark. And basically it's like a what they call a trademark troll instead of a patent troll. It's a trademark troll in which they basically hold the uh, trademark ransom. And, you know, when you're dealing with international countries and so forth, a little bit more difficult to enforce. But here in this case, I think this DJ has also made his own too as well to have enough of an independent kind of following to be freely differentiating between Mickey Mouse. I agree with you. And like I said earlier, he's been doing this for a decade. So yeah, why now? <laughs> why didn't they take any action prior to now? Disney is classically, though, they've been very aggressive in enforcing any kind of copyright infringement and trademark infringement, etc. And I think only until recently, even in this article, they comment on how they've taken a little bit of a step back with their movie Frozen because there's been so many parodies and tributes to Frozen on YouTube and alike that it's actually helped the actual movie get more viewers and so forth. And so they've kind of let it go because it's in their favor, which I haven't seen the movie either. Have you? I've heard it's good. Have I seen Frozen? No, I have not. What should I include in a general release? Well, what's a general release? A general release is basically uh, usually when you have a dispute that comes up with anyone for that matter and you come to a settlement, then you want to make sure that, okay, I'm paying you a hundred bucks in settlement so that neither of us have any more claims with each other. We can go our separate ways and we don't have to deal with each other anymore. Right. And that's the concept of the general release. But 
what should I include in a general lease? Frankly, if it's of any consequence, you should not be drafting your own general leases. It's not a simple document, not as simple as people think it is, especially like in different states, there are different requirements depending upon what exactly you want to be released. For example, classically in California, if you want to release any and all claims, including unknown claims, you have to specifically waive certain rights of the California law. I think specifically it's section 1542 of the California Civil Code, because without that, California only allows you to release claims that are that are known or suspected to exist, not ones that are unknown. Right. And that's usually, you know, a general release usually tries to include those kind of things. I guess there's common sense things that you would think about, like who's releasing who or who's providing the release to who. Yeah. And these are all, like I said, basic level stuff. But, you know, what claims are being released? You're right. These are questions that need to be answered. Who's being released? Is it the entity or the individual or both? You know, a lot of times when that can be kind of mixed and mashed. You might want to include the individuals in there. What if there's some kind of dispute? Are you going to go into arbitration or attorney's fees? So basic stuff that are in any contract. And you mentioned what claims. Sometimes you just want to release one specific claim dealing with one issue, but not touching the others because, again, they may be unknown. So you want to kind of reserve your right to follow up with that and then also a lot of times these settlement agreements, you want to make sure, especially from a business perspective, you may want to make sure that they're confidential because you don't want the other person saying, hey, this guy settled with me and because he admitted he was wrong or whatever and their business is bad and so forth. So adding in stuff like non-disparagement clauses and things like that are also something to consider. Happy New Year. That was a fail. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast, the podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.